I want to start this morning with a couple of personal stories from my life, uh, if I may, like what's new, right? Uh, but I'm going to take you on a little journey and a theme that I've seen. The first one goes back to when I was like four or five years old, maybe. I used to love going to church. My dad was actually the pastor at my home church. He still is. And, uh, but it wasn't because I loved listening to my dad preach. And it wasn't because of, uh, of Sunday school. It was because of one specific thing. I knew that if I went to church, I just might run into Mr. Joe. Now, Mr. Joe was an elderly man at my church, and as a young little tot, like, I didn't have, like, a relationship with him. We ever, never had any great deep conversations. In fact, he passed away before I was old enough to really know him very well. But I did know one thing about Mr. Joe. Mr. Joe was the candy man. Yeah, Mr. Joe made it his mission that when he came to church on Sunday, he'd have a pocket full of candies, normally some mints or some of those Werther's Original candies. Like, I'm not old enough to carry around Werther's Original. Jeff, you might be just about old enough to start carrying Werther's. Yeah, so Jeff might start, he might have some on him right now. Um, or those little strawberry candies. You remember the strawberry candies with like the, the red and green wrapper? They only grow in the bowls at grandma's houses, right? And I don't know where you buy them. But anyway, and I love, so here's the thing. I was thinking this week and I was like, when is the earliest in my life that I remember someone being generous to me? And that was what I came up with, Mr. Joe. Uh, Mr. Joe is going to be with the Lord many, many decades ago, and, but I think he'd be glad to know that that's my memory of him. Uh, that, that, was, that was Mr. Joe, and the word that I learned from him is generosity. And as I look back through my life, I could tell lots of stories like that. Maybe you can too. Let me tell you another one. Uh, one month, one, one, one day, one day, my family's washing machine broke. I was uh, in elementary school probably at this time. And uh, my, like I said, my dad was a pit pastor. My mom worked a job. My dad worked several side jobs. We weren't wealthy people. They did what they could to make ends meet like the rest of us, right? Uh, so when your washing machine breaks, that's pretty inconvenient. And no one's expecting that. No one's planning for that. And I remember there being a conversation with my parents like, oh, no, the washing machine is broken. What are we going to do? Well, fast forward a day or so later, and we come home in the evening after whatever we'd been doing. We pulled into the driveway, and all down the street were like all these cars. A lot of people were there. And we're like, what's going on? And so we walk into the, the house and it's like, there's a bunch of people in our living room. They're like, surprise. And we're like, what are you doing in our house? And, uh, but they were all friends from church. We're like, what is going on? And on the floor was like this trail of, uh, of, of laundry, like clothes. It was like socks and towels. And I don't know what, and it was, it was, and they were like, follow the trail, follow the trail. So it went through the living room and it went through the dining room, went through the kitchen and it went back to the laundry room. And I remember watching my mom walk back there and when we got there, there was a new washing machine. And I don't know if it had like a big red bow on it, but in my memory, like it did, because it was like, wow, we got a new washing machine. And what had happened, you know, the, the people, the church family found out that we had a need and they took care of it. And I remember it so vividly being a young boy standing in my kitchen and all these faces that they were smiling and they were so happy. And I know now as an adult who's been able to be generous, like I know they were just as happy to have helped us as we were to have been helped generosity. I hope you've got stories like that in your life. Um, you know, generosity uh, is, let me give you a definition for generosity. Generosity is defined by the Oxford Dictionary as showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Giving more than is necessary. You want some more stories? I got one more for you. I was in college I go to my uh, mailbox where I'm normally there to get my grades, you know, tests and stuff, or junk mail. It's not always an exciting thing, you know, when you're in college, you go to your mailbox. I pull out an envelope. It was an envelope with a letter in it and a $100 check. 
from a couple that I barely knew. I didn't even know them at the time, actually. It was a couple. Here's what they did. They would get up with the college, and they would get the names of college students, and they would just send them things. It's so cool because I called them when I found out who they were, and I called them and said, thank you. And they kept up with me to the point where uh, it turned out they were actually friends of some distant family of mine, or some family of mine. Actually, anyway, I won't get into it. But, and, and like they kept up with me to when I grew up and got out of college and got married, they would still like randomly surprise my wife and I and taking us out to dinner. Generosity. Here's the thing about generosity. We see it all the time. We see it, uh, we see it like in celebrities, and we see it in athletes, and we see it in, like I saw Ellen DeGeneres and Will Smith uh, give away like $30,000 this week to these three boys for like being anti-bullying, and it was really cool. And then I think Will Smith got with like New Balance, and they bought brand new tennis shoes for every kid in those kids' high schools. Like that's generosity. But you don't have to be a millionaire or famous to be generous. In fact, generosity is completely scalable. From the smallest to the largest, you can be generous. One of my favorite generosity stories, and this is the last personal one I'll tell this morning, was uh, it happened to me with my niece. It was several years ago. She was nine years old. And uh, she had been running a lemonade stand in the front yard. And to be honest with you guys, she crushed it. Like she made like hundreds of dollars of this lemonade. I had a lemonade stand once. I think I made $20 total from my across the street neighbor who felt really sorry for me. He's like, here, I don't really want any lemonade. Here's $20. But like she was crushing it, hundreds of dollars. And uh, so, but she wanted to do something good with the money that she made. She had decided that she was going to exercise the principle of the tithe and she was going to do a percentage of the money she had made. She was going to give it away to some different things. And uh, so one day I, I met with, you know, my family, my brother and his family on a weekend and she came to me with a little gift bag. And uh, as a, an, a, an adult man, uh, dudes, like here's something it's true. We don't get many little gift bags. Like little gift bags, not, we don't exchange it. Ladies, y'all are always like, yeah, oh, it's so cute. I'm going to give it to, to Rhonda. Like, are there Rhondas? If you're Rhonda, I'm glad you got a gift bag. But like, guys, when we get a gift bag, we're like, what? Is it my birthday? Is it? What month is it? You're like, we don't know. She gives me this gift bag, and there's two things inside. One was a note from my niece. I want to read it to you. It says, Uncle Chris, I know that church plants are important, so I'm giving you $20. Love, Ariel. She was nine years old. And then the other thing that was in the bag was a gallon Ziploc bag full of quarters, nickels, and dimes, $20 worth. And I was all choked up and I hugged her and I said, I'm so, I'm so proud of you. Like this is such an example of generosity. She could have kept it and done something else with it for herself, but she knew that. And so I told her, I said, listen, Venture Church, we're, we're a new church. You know, if you're watching online, you don't know that. We're a church plant. We're very new. And I said, I'm going to put this in the offering next week. And I did. And I'm sure that the people that counted the money that week are like, what is this? Grandma paid for offering this week. Um, okay. What's the point of all these stories? Generosity. Well, we're in this teaching series, Pandemic Hope. And the whole goal of this series is we're living in a world of like hashtag 2020. You know what I'm saying? I saw a lady, the greatest mask I've seen so far. It had five stars on it, but it only had one star filled out. It said 2020, one star review, would not recommend. <laughs> and so it was like, yeah, that's hashtag 2020. There's negativity. There's all this stuff going on. But we've been like, you know what? Instead of like just worrying about, you know, squashing the curve of COVID-19, what if we worry about bringing something else to the table? What if we bring what only Jesus can bring? What if we bring his hope into the world? And we spike the curve of hope. And so for the past, this is our sixth week doing this. We have been looking at biblical principles that bring hope into our lives and that we can multiply and put into the lives of people around us. So we've talked about things like encouragement and gratitude and courage. Last week, we talked about enthusiasm. And this week, if you haven't guessed it, it's generosity generosity. It's going above and beyond what is necessary. When you look at God, one of his greatest qualities, his greatest attributes is generosity. 
Think about it. Like, look around you, wherever you are. Look out the window. Look out wherever you are. Everything is God's. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 reminds us, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, so it's all God's. But check this out. This is his generous heart. He gives it to us to take care of, to steward, to be responsible for, to survive off of. We get all of our food and materials from this world. It's his. He's like, I want you to have it, all of it. You have all of it. And as such, as the stewards of his creation, this is what he wants from us. He wants us to manage it the way he would manage it, with a heart of generosity. I gave it to you, I want you to pay it forward. So when it comes to our resources, our money, our material possessions, and all the things that we have, man, just like Miss Bethel said with the pickle jar, like it's so easy for us to hold on and be like, mine, mine, mine. But it's not mine. It's his. And we need to manage it with the heart of God. So we're going to be in our Bible study today in 1 Timothy. So you got your Bibles, go ahead and crack those things open to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, a little bit of background in case you're not familiar with the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy was a young man who met the Apostle Paul. And uh, when he met the Apostle Paul, he was so blown away by the message of Jesus that he was like, I'm in. I want in and I want to be a missionary just like you. So Timothy begins following Paul around and being discipled by him. Before long, he becomes one of the leaders of the early church, like a major leader in the early church. And, uh, but, but, so Paul writes these letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. They're in our New Testaments of our Bible. And as he's writing to this one context where, Paul, where Timothy is kind of pastoring a group of people, there's something going on there. The thing that's going on there is that the people there are falling into serious materialism and greed. In fact, the problem is that they are using their positions in the church to try to get financial gain. They're dishonest. It, it, it could be a Twitter post today. Like it's, it's 2,000 years ago, but it's the same thing we hear about all the time. People who get sucked in by whatever it is, leadership or fame or, or finances or whatever, and they, they use their position in the church to exploit people and take their money. And so... Uh, Anyways, Paul writes a letter to Timothy to kind of address that. And he's like, listen, I want, you to, I want you to talk about this with these people, and I want you to deal with it. And so when we get to Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Timothy is getting these instructions from Paul on what to do about this. Now, here's the deal. This is a context that maybe you're not dealing with. You're like, I don't understand. This isn't to me. This is to him. That was a very specific thing. But I think you'll find that the words here are going to really line up with what it means for us to find a heart of generosity. It starts out with this killer verse. Don't miss this verse. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Simple sentence. I want you to do this. Do yourself a favor. If you've got a Bible, underline that passage. If it's on your app, highlight it. Circle it. Tear the page out and hang it on the wall. I don't know if you can tear the page out. You can. You bought the Bible. As long as you're going to keep reading it, don't destroy it. This is important. Get it tattooed on your body. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's keep on going. Uh, verse 7. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. One of the biggest enemies to generosity is greed. And every two-year-old understands this. 
You give them one cookie. One cookie's good. Two cookies is better. <laughs> Three cookies are mine. <laughs> you know, cookie, cookie, cookie. You know, like that. And like that's just like generosity is scalable, so is greed. And we're cookie monsters with everything in the world around us. And so that's like, that's the mentality. Now, is it okay to have stuff? Well, yeah. I mean, the Bible is very clear that God blesses us with stuff. The, he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have every good thing. He wants that for us. But when that stuff starts to take the throne of our heart, there's a problem. And so that's where that line is between uh, greed interfering with God's heart of generosity. And Paul issues this warning that too much hoarding of earthly treasures, it can lead to. The list of stuff he says it leads to is, is sad. It's like it, it leads to evil. It leads to a loss of faith. And if that's not convincing, let me tell you this. It le leads to grief. Like, you're like, well, my faith, I can work on it. But how many of you want to live in grief? But we find that this is true. If you look out throughout history, like the richest people who have ever lived, over and over in their biographies and in the songs and poetry that they write and in the art that they produce, their message is, man, I had everything, but it wasn't enough. I still experienced loneliness. I still had paranoia. I still was unhappy. I still had my brokenness and my addiction. Like, all the stuff in the world can't fix what's going on inside because our life here is temporary, and our stuff and those cookies are temporary, but our soul is eternal, and only an eternal God can nourish that soul and fill us up. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So what do we do? What do we do to fight the cookie monster syndrome? Well, uh, Jesus had some good advice. I always like to find what did Jesus say about stuff. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not eat up and thieves do not break in and steal. He says this last phrase, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that heart is the more eternal part of us, the soul part. So we've got to look where our treasure, you know, our treasure troves are. Where, where are these um, stockpiles of what we're investing in? Is it eternal? Or is it temporary? And as he's talking to Timothy, Paul offers a solution. And so he gives kind of a recipe. And there's four things. If you'd like to write down notes, this would be a great thing to write down. There's four things that Paul's going to outline that's going to help us kind of fight this tide of greed and materialism and cookie monster syndrome. If you want something a little more, you know, something easier to hold on to. There are four things. We're just going to read the verses, verses 11 through, uh, we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, so flip back to 1 Timothy. Verses 11 through 13. He says, but you, man of God, Flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so there's four things here. We actually looked at this, I think, about a year, year and a half ago as a church. And this is a lesson that I want to bring back every now and then because it's like, you know, the cookie monster syndrome is real. So hopefully you've heard this before and hopefully we can continue to lock it in. He gives us a four-part formula for this. The, the words flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. Flee, pursue, fight, and take hold. These are kind of like uh, battlefield words. I mean, we're kind of like strategizing how we're going to take on like a, uh, a revolution type thing going on. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold. And we're going to break down this passage and just kind of understand those four words. First is the word flee. Flee. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this. From all of what? From all of this. <laughs> like that doesn't need to hold you captive from the physical things in this world. Flee means like to run. We flee when there is danger, 
right? The house is about to explode because there's a gas leak. We flee the heck out of there, right? We flee. And here's the thing. Materialism can be toxic to our soul. And so that's why we need to be careful with it and flee from it. We need to run. It's dangerous to us. In this context, there were people being dishonest and trying to make gains from the church. And that's the place where we can read the Bible and be like, that doesn't relate to me. Even me, I'm a pastor. I'm a leader in the church. But when we establish this church, there are so many guardrails up for me that I can't touch money. I can't get with money. Like, I don't want that in my life because I've seen what it's done to other leaders. And so, like, at our church or in your life, you might be like, this isn't relevant to me. Here's the deal. There is another trap that's just as relevant to all of us, okay? And I'm going to name that trap. We're forget that context because that's them, but this is going to work for us too. The trap is the status trap. The status trap. The status trap says, I need more. I need more. I need more income. I need more, you know, uh, and it works beyond material things. I need more friends. I need more this and more that. But, but materially, I need more iPhone, you know. I need more car. I need more processor speed in my computer. I need more money in my bank account, more promotion in my life. That, it's the status. It's the status trap. And it's a trap because it lures us in. It consumes you. And it leads to this rat race that you might feel like you're in a lot. Why am I doing this? Why do I work so hard? Why? It robs you from relationship time. It robs you from, you know, really being able to invest in other people. And I get it. We got a pair of bills. We got to make ends meet. But sometimes it's the status trap that, gu- that guides this. Like, do you really need to pay those bills? Or could you downsize your house and be happier? You know what I mean? Like, you, sometimes we put ourselves in the trap and then we're like, I can't get out. Like, you totally can get out. You can get out. But it was the decision that you made. This is the trap. So when Paul says, but you, man of God, you, woman of God, flee from all of this. This is permission for us to be like, I don't need that. I can get it out of my life. That's going to have to apply to you wherever it hits you. But I hope that it's something that's the words of Paul here are important. Second thing, flee. Second one is pursue. Okay, so it's one thing to flee. Run away. <laughs> it's another thing to like run away to where? Like what am I pursu- pursuing is like, I'm going after something. And he gives us a great list of things to pursue. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness. That list is excellent. I recommend you do a Bible study or just a personal reflection on those five words. That would be enough to get you through this week. Pick a word a day and go through them. Like if those are the things we're supposed to pursue, let's do that. Instead of filling our lives with earthly riches that are here one day and gone the next, like Paul said, we actually do something else. What if we begin to pursue character. Like if we were more concerned with being a virtuous person than we were being a valuable person, like financially, materially. What if our virtue was our biggest goal? But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, endurance, and gentleness. And then the third thing, fight, fight, fight what? He says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight for your faith. This immediately makes me think of of Ephesians chapter 6. That's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 12, we're reminded what our fight is about. He says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Like we feel like we're fighting this world all the time. But Paul wants to remind us, like our, our fight, our struggle is not actually with the physical. Our struggle, keep going, our struggle is against the rulers and authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our life is a spiritual battle. The struggles that we feel, it's, it's, it's spiritual. That's why you're at church today. You know, like you're like, there's something spiritual going on right now. I need to get, you know, geared up for what's going on in my spiritual life. And he says, fight the fight of faith. 
The reason that this is, and I mean, anything that pulls us away from God can be a spiritual battle. But the reason that this is really applicable in our material things is because our material things, though, they can lead to all those things that Paul said, you know, evil and losing of our faith and to um, you know, grief. Don't they always feel like a blessing? I mean, God wants me to have a new car, right? God wants me to have this huge house. God wants me to have a promotion. Again, maybe he does. <laughs> maybe he does. Uh, but the thing that is between it being evil and, and a blessing is what, what sits on the throne of your heart. What's ruling you? What's guiding you? Here's the thing. Your faith doesn't have to be contingent on how much money is in your bank account. It doesn't. There are very rich people who have strong faith. There are very poor people who have strong faith. There is not necessarily, uh, you know, a congruency between your faith and, and your finances. But if your faith is in your finances, I can't be happy unless I'm financially secure. I can't be confident and comfortable unless I've got this or that, unless I can pay my bills or unless I have this status symbol or this nicer thing. I can't feel good about myself unless I've got the newest, nicest clothes. Like if, if all of our trust is in the physical, it will destroy our faith in God. And so that's where it's fighting the good fight of faith. It means saying, look, let me put my trust in God, not in all these other physical things in this world. So he says, flee. He says, pursue. He says, fight. And then the last one is, take hold. Take hold. Let me read you the verse. It says, take hold of what? The eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're going to unpack that. But I think, like, I tried to, like, how do I understand this? And so, um, you ever been out, and, like, uh, I'm a sunglasses wearer. I have sunglasses pretty much all year round. Uh, and you ever been out and, and like you have sunglasses, but you put them up on your head and then you're like, ah, where are my sunglasses? And you're walking around, you're like, can't find them. Sun's in your eyes, you're squinting, you're like, does anybody see my sunglasses? And then there's a moment where your friend who knows everything is like, um, Chris, they're up on your head. And you're like, ah, I knew that. I just seen if you paying attention, right? And so here's the deal. A lot of times we have exactly what we need, but we just need to be reminded. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, take hold of that, that you already confessed. Take hold of God. Take hold of his presence in your life. You've done that. He's speaking specifically to a group of Christians. And, and this group that he's writing to, they knew the blessings of God. They knew they shouldn't put their trust in the temporary things. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about eternity. They had heard about the spiritual life. But just like us with our sunglasses, they just needed to be reminded. And so there's these people, and they're dealing with the greed, and they're dealing with the misuse of their position, and they're dealing with whatever financial whatever, just like the rest of us. And he's like, hey, check your head. <laughs> look for your sunglasses. You know about God. You know about his provision. You know how he's going to take care of you. You need to take hold of that. And you need to hold on to it tight. Flee, pursue, fight. But when you're in Christ, you can take hold of so much more. Now, there's kind of two groups of people that I could be talking to. One, you may have already accepted Christ as your Savior. Like, I'm in. I'm all in on Jesus. I want to do the Jesus thing. I want to remind you, sunglasses are on top of your head. Next time you're stressed out about hashtag 2020, Take a look at your sunglasses, okay? You, you should know already that God has got you. He's not going to let you fall. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's not going to, you know, he's there. Take hold of that. You might be watching online right now, and you might be like, I don't know, though. I haven't really committed to Jesus. Like, I don't know. I'm just doing My spouse makes me watch online every week, or I'm just curious. I'm so glad you're here. I'm pumped that you're here, and I want to let you know something. You, too, can take hold. But you can reach out for that first time and say, yeah, I want that. I want that confidence that comes with knowing God. I want that confidence that comes with living my life for him. 
so that I can flee from that other stuff and reestablish my life. And it's a reboot of your whole life. It's not like, well, I'm just going to slide a little bit into the Christian category. No. No, it's like, I'm going to flee from all of this, man of God. And I'm going to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and endurance and all these things. I'm going to pursue that with my life. If that's something that you want to do, please reach out and let somebody know. We're on the internet right now, and except for the few people that I'm in the room with right now, you know, it might be hard to feel like you can connect, but you can make a comment on Facebook right now and be like, I'm ready. I want to do this right now. And someone can reach out to you, and we can make that happen. We can go down to the beach and have a baptism and celebrate a new life, or you can send us a private message through Facebook, and we can set up some conversations in that direction as well. Okay, but I thought today's message was about generosity. Um, <laughs> we talked about greed, we talked about materialism, we talked, what? The, the reason that we had to go there is because generosity can be really hard to come by in our world. You know why? Because we are filthy rich. We are so rich. Like, even if you're lower middle class or low, lower, you know, socioeconomic right now, compared to the rest of the world, we are we're rich. We got, if you had a meal every day last week, man, you're killing it. If you have a car that you also have gas in, on the worldwide standard, we are filthy rich. And Paul understands that about the group he's talking to. This is what he says in verse 17. He says, so command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, that's us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. What's the name of this whole teaching series? Pandemic Hope. We're trying to raise hope in this world. Don't put your hope in wealth. Don't do it. It will leave you hanging. Bitcoin or whatever else you think is going to save the day. Don't put your hope in that. It's so uncertain. That's scripture. (laughs) But put your hope in God who richly provides. I love, I think this little pun, this play on words he uses when he says richly. He richly provides with everything, everything for our enjoyment. And, And then here's some more instruction, verse 18. He says, command them, so this is the same group of people, to do good. This is what you should do. He's not talking about your portfolio, your Roth IRA, your 401k. He's he's like, command them to do good. And if you want to be rich, look what he says. Be rich in good deeds. Mm. And be generous and willing to share. What's generous mean? You're doing more than just is required. It's from a status of going, I don't need this. I want to help other people. It's God's in the first place, but I want to have a generous heart. Verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation of the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that's Jesus' language. Jesus said, don't lay up treasure uh, on the earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. This is Paul directly saying that. If you do that, you will lay up treasure for yourself in the eternal. So here's the deal. What does it take for us to be generous? I I could wrap this up a million different ways. But this past week, I was blown away to hear about the different things that so many of you guys did for our Love Agent Week. Like Patrick said earlier, Love Agent Week isn't over just because Love Agent Week's over. No, like Love Agent Week should be every week. It should be every day we're trying to strategically love with the heart of God. That's intentional language. We want to, you know, uh, replicate the heart of God in this world. And what is God's, one of God's greatest attributes? Generosity. What do you think one of God's greatest possessions is? His own presence. And he came to the earth as a human being to sacrifice his life for us. There was nothing he wasn't willing to give. So we de- duplicate the heart of God. And so it's really awesome. And the thing about uh, Love Agent Week is that we say we want to be strategically loving with the heart of God. Let me ask you this. 
What if our challenge this week is that we be strategically generous? Strategically. I'm not talking about like you're riding down the road and there's the, the person on the corner with the cardboard sign and they're like veteran, homeless, need some help. And you're like, ah, yeah, let's see if I got some pocket change. Now, that's good. And that is generous. That's above and beyond. You don't have to do that. And you might have your reasons why you don't do it. I've, we could talk about that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you sit down with your checkbook and your bank account with your spouse or whoever you share money with. And you sit down this week and you go, guys, we need to be strategically generous. Like a portion of this needs to be set aside for generosity. I want to be very clear with our church family right now. I am not talking about offerings to the church right now. I'm not talking about keeping the lights on and this sound equipment we have in here. Like that's great. And the ministry that we do comes from people who are faithfully giving and doing tithing. And I'm over the moon excited that that continues to happen in the weekend. I'm, but I'm talking about even beyond that. I'm talking about sitting down and going, how can I be strategically? The family that sent college students money, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. Or knowing if there's a family in our church family or your neighborhood or that goes to school with your kids, it's like, they're always struggling, man. What if I just offered to buy shoes for their kids? What if I just did it anyway? Hey, what size is uh, Tommy wear? See you need some uh, running shoes? I got you. Come back with a pair of shoes. And I'm not talking doing, doing it once because Chris said, give you an idea. Like, oh, that's, we did it. No, I'm talking about like from here on out. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But he's given us the option of being generous and having his heart and sharing. And imagine what that will do in hashtag 2020. Imagine that single mom who just gets a little extra help with lunch money or shoes or school clothes this year. And the stress that she's feeling because of all of that, she goes, wow, I don't have to deal with that anymore. Imagine the light that shines. We talk about shining light in dark places. One of the darkest places in our minds is often our economy because it's always uncertain. I know that some of you have lost your jobs and have been furloughed and have got your hours cut and your pay has been cut. And it's terrifying because your landlord still wants to get paid and so is your car company, car payment and everything. But let's not put our trust in earthly wealth. And what happens is when we begin to trust God, we start to see that he does richly provide us with everything that we need. I've seen this in my own life. And as a family, what we do is we sit down and we do a percentage-based giving. Uh, and I, I never want to be one who's like trying to put myself on a pedestal. But for years, we've tried to increase our giving by a little bit every year by percentage. And we've been married almost 20 years. And I'm telling you, that, and God has never failed us. In fact, we feel as rich as can possibly be. I promise you, we're not <laughs> financially. But on the other end of it, we're like, man, God has never let us down, and we feel so blessed. Can I just invite you to trust God by being generous? And then what does it do to spike the hope curve? Oh, man, your hope goes through the roof because you're not even worried about I'm not stressed about money. I'm not stressed about my job I'm not because God's going to provide. Oh, uh, yeah, we might have to we might have sell our car, um, <laughs> but sometimes people have one car, you know, whatever. Pandemic Hope has been a great series, and this wraps it up for today, but like, like all of our teaching, it never ends. It, it needs to continue. So can I just challenge us? When we say shine light in dark places, Venture Church, one of the greatest things you could do for your friends and your family and your neighbors is to be people that bring hope. You don't bring doom and gloom. You don't bring negativity. You don't spot. We got an election coming up. I don't know if you heard about that. But we don't sit around and complain about it all day long. We just go, you know what? God's my king. <laughs> I'm going to trust in him. As pandemic hope, that's generosity. And I'd love to pray for us this morning.